0: Welcome to the Binge Essentials podcast. I'm your host, David Rocha, and joining me as always, coming back from the contentious quorum, is Romeo Mora.
1: I think I'm in one piece. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's
1: address the elephant in the room. I am Congestus as hell because of allergies, so I don't sound like myself, but I'm alive (laughs) and I'm ready to go about one of the most requested shows that I wanted to talk about for a very long time.
0: Yes, Romeo is going to be the guest for today's show. It is about Battlestar Galactica and Battlestar Galactica is an American military science fiction television series reimagining of the 1978 series created by Glenn A. Larson. Battlestar Galactica is set in a distant star system where a civilization of humans had been at war with an android race of their own creation called Cylons. The Cylons launched a sudden sneak attack on the colonies, laying waste to the planets and devastating their populations. Out of a population of several billion, there are about 50,000 human survivors and Battlestar Galactica appears to be the only military ship that survived the attack. The Galactica and its crew take up the task of leading the small fleet of survivors in search of a fabled 13th colony known as Earth. The cast includes Edward James Olmos, Mary Mc Donald, Katie Sackoff, Jamie Bomber, James Callis, Trisha Helfer, and Grace Park. Romeo, are you ready to start talking Battlestar Galactica? Yeah,
1: and I'm <laughs> gonna point out this fun little fact. When Glenn A. Larson was commissioned to make this show this was abc who the parent company is disney needed something that was like star wars and now <laughs> disney owns star wars and i think that's hilarious
0: it's like poetry so, it rhymes
1: <laughs> i thought like this is the most funniest thing as we're recording this during star wars celebration week and, and wars we're wars also week. recording this also on memorial day weekend here in the u.s which is fitting because this is a military show regardless if you include the robots as part of the major overall arc. It is about the colonial military protecting a civilian fleet.
0: With that in mind, what actually inspired you to start watching this show? Did you even watch the 1978
1: show? No. I think I might have been like sort of aware of Battlestar because if you look at the Cylon, the old Centurions, the helmets kind of look like Darth Vader. They do. (laughs) And it was purposely done. Even the chess pieces has a little box or similar box thingy. I stumbled upon this, which it sounds like a broken record with me. I come in late to all these series that I end up loving. I have this fond memory is I was in college. I was stage managing a show. I came home having a late dinner and I was decided to put something randomly on and it actually was the episode where they were going after the resurrection hub that was my first episode of battlestar galactica which is a weird episode to sort of jump in on but that was the mid-season premiere i believe of season two resurrection ship yes
0: so with that because this was a different time We didn't quite have streaming services. Where did you go from there after seeing that episode? Did you try to start from the beginning or were you just... It took a while because I think
1: I had to wait until... I want to say it's like right before the season three premiere. Because Sci-Fi occasionally would do marathons of all the episodes Mm -hmm. to sort of get excitement. Because if you think about it, this is before Twitter. MySpace was still sort of the height of its popularity, I believe. Facebook was slowly being, I think, opened up up outside of college, you had to go to message boards in order to to talk about these shows. And your main guides were print magazines. So unless you weren't reading TV Guide Religiously or Entertainment Weekly or any of those popular trades, you kind of weren't in the know. And a lot of actors said, if the show came later, it probably would have blown up even bigger. And it probably might have gone a little bit longer, even though the original plan was to have five years, which it kind of did because you had a writer strike in the middle, which prolonged it into that fifth year. But the story that originally was told was told. But yeah, it was by a fluke. But then again, this was a time where there were actual shows and advertisements. YouTube was just beginning. So people were still watching shows on cable. Like if you wanted to watch a show, you had to watch it on cable.
0: And networks still do the whole like marathon their shows back then, especially. Because oh, today is
1: kind of different.
0: No, today is different. Yeah, because they have and the novelty of streaming services. Right. They try to use that to their advantage to get people to which catch is, up on shows. Which
1: is kind of dumb, because which you would think it would be a good way for people who don't have the service to say, hey, this great show that we're showing the first season of, you should go to our stream for the rest of the season. I've seen Harry Potter on loops on sci-fi, which, yeah, sci-fi fantasy, but where's my science fiction? Show me my Galactica. I want Galactica back on my TV.
0: So you eventually got yourself to the pilot here. What was it about the pilot that got you hooked?
1: Here's the weird thing, too. What do we consider the pilot? Because there was a mini-series that sets up the whole series. And then there is the quote unquote official TV pilot 33. For me, that's a tough question. And I've asked you in preparation to skip the miniseries. And you just watched 33 as your sort of just introduction to this world. So let's talk about 33 first. And I'll go back to the mini-series. 33 is kind of interesting because you kind of jump in into the action. It's approximately, I believe, about two or three weeks after the initial attacks on the colonies. And somehow, the Cylons are able to track the fleet's location every 33 minutes. So they have to constantly do a point-to-point jump. It's kind of like warp or something in more common terms. Mm -hmm. It's their faster than light travel type of thing. But you see how it's wearing down the crew and there's open suspicion like how are they tracking them? And it to find out that it might be a tracker on a civilian ship and they may or may not have to blow up a civilian ship in order to protect the rest of the fleet. And there's this argument going back and forth. So I want to throw it to you, David, what was your take on this pilot?
0: Well, you're certainly left a little confused and almost disarrayed that you're smack dab in the middle of this conflict. The show kind of wants you to assume you've seen the miniseries, Mm -hmm. if we're being honest. I still found it to be a really good episode, just on its own. The warp concept and trying to investigate and figure out like how are these Cylons tracking them like this, and then to come down to the decision that it's possible that one of the civilian ships is being tracked, and then having to make the decision to blow up said civilian is an incredibly a tough decision tough decisions that you're faced with while in combat all the time and it really gets you to learn about some of these characters like Adama and Starbuck kind of gives you that concept of like how mm. loyal are they or what sacrifices willing to make to save the people in, in any anyway and how how is this moment going to change their character arcs as the series goes on so I thought that was really cool about the episode I will admit though um, the biggest issue I had with the episode was Geis. because Geis,
1: Baltar, and is it an in inner six as they call her in the scripts?
0: Yes, and that was very confusing to me at first. Eventually, I just kind of decided that he was having visions. And I know right. the show is purposely not explaining because he doesn't even know what he's experiencing. And it takes right. him some time to figure that out. So I had to work my own brain to figure this out on my own. So I can see how the average viewer can be very isolated from those scenes or just totally not get. Get it and then not wanting to continue watching so it's a hard one and I think that for people to just jump right into that episode without the miniseries might be a tough recommendation to do.
1: Yes, and that's what I was curious about, and I thank you. <laughs> I kind of feel like I kind of sabotaged you in a way by asking you to skip the miniseries, but I feel like for a lot of folks, like that is their introduction because you look at the pilot, and even when it's on, because right now it's streaming on Peacock, the miniseries is separated from the actual TV show. You were sort of made the assumption that you need to start with the pilot and the miniseries sort of optional and really the source is a backdoor pilot it explains everything Inner Six the actual Model Six that infiltrated and sort of exploited her relationship with Gaius Baltar and sort of the harsh Realization because there's a lot of stuff that happens with Laura Roslin In that episode, we learned that she has cancer, terminal cancer. And after her dedication as the Secretary of Education of the Colonies, she was supposed to resign her post. And all of a sudden, she's now the sole surviving member of the cabinet. And now she's president of the 12 colonies. And one of the most heartbreaking decisions she has to make is a lot of the ships that she's gathered don't have FTL drives faster than light travel. And She has to abandon them for the survival of the human race. And she's like, well, we can offload them. She's like, no, Madam President, there's no time. It's a great opening to the kind of discussions they were going to have throughout the series. Mm -hmm. The hard calls. And keep in mind, this was before The Walking Dead, where I feel like these conversations are more commonplace now in television. But at the time when this show aired, science fiction, they kind of skirted around the those issues. And here, they were asking those questions. And sometimes there were no answers because how do you answer those questions about who has the right to survival? And one of the most brilliant things that they did is they made the Cylons appear human down to the cellular level where before, like with the Terminator or Blade Runner, they were machines, they had expiration dates. There was a clear distinction that they were the other, they were bad, they had no real Emotions. Here, they had emotions. They had a belief system. They believe, for all intents and purposes, that the one true God. It became this dark reflection of humanity. Mm-hmm. It's like humanity finally coming face to face of all of the horrible things that they brought into the world, which they learned from their human counterparts. And it is the quote unquote reckoning that keeps getting mentioned throughout the entire series, which I think it's sort of like this weird, beautiful metaphor. And again, is asked again at the very last episode. All this has happened before, but does it need to happen
0: again? So as you're unpacking all of this, can you even pinpoint when you decided you were in it for the long haul? Was it was this something that was like from the beginning, you're like, I got to like find the answers to these questions or?
1: Back end of season two, I'm not going to lie, was tough. There were some episodes that when I did my rewatch again, I'm like, I'm going to say skip this episode, skip this episode. Episode 18, season two downloaded. This was our first clear view of Cylon society. Who are the Cylons? Because when you look at earlier at the season, when I finally got to those episodes, they were just sort of philicizing in the background about humanity that they're humanity's children. The purpose of children are to take the place of their parents and they can't take their place until humanity is gone. But here we get to see, we focus on three particular models. Caprica 6, a character we technically have not seen since the miniseries. Sharon Valeri, aka K.A. Boomer, the Cylon that shoots, then Commander Adama, now he's an Admiral, and number three, played by Lucy Lawless, Mm -hmm. which we recently met in the first half of season two. It's just like this beautiful meditation of what it is to be a Cylon. Are they really machines? And you see that Sharon Valeri was a sleeper agent, and she's struggling between her old quote-unquote human life and her Cylon life. You have Caprica 6, where She's struggling with the fact that she is carrying the genocide of the human race on her shoulders. Everyone sees her as a hero, but she's now internalizing that trauma and the betrayal of the man she loves with her own version of Gaius Baltar in her head, mocking her. Baltar has his inner six mocking him on Galactica, which I thought was brilliant. Some may call it lazy writing. I thought it was genius because, in a way, it is a mechanism. In a way, it's. Kind of like a survival instinct to keep them going but also sort of like self-punishment. right? Something that's beautiful at the end is those two people, because they lived among the humans, realized that within their own religion, they committed a sin and decided we're going to stop the war and go help humanity rebuild. And I thought that was genius because I can't think from that moment on, and I could be wrong, there could be other examples of this sort of trope of machines sort of coming together and realizing they want to help humans. For all I know, there is something out there before Battlestar Galactica, but I thought that was so unique. I'm like, okay, we're getting arguments from both sides. And then season three happened where we're splitting our time between the two different races. Okay, now we're getting both sides of the argument here, And which becomes really important during the occupation.
0: And it's a really great way to tell the story. It keeps it fresh. It almost feels like it's <laughs> revamping the show. And I think that's what helps separate it from other shows that... like. The to play with this whole like Android sentient being concept or something like that. Cylons are a creation, but they evolve. They have belief systems. Really cleverly told in comparison to other series that I find to be more engaging than watching a show that we'll probably mention later on, Westworld. Well, here's the
1: scary thing about that too. If we think about the Cylons as the quote-unquote monster, they self-evolved, where unlike Westworld or a lot of the robots, we made them. They didn't make themselves. Yeah, exactly. Here, yeah, the initial old centurions, that are reminiscent of the 1970 1970 show. They were created, but then they evolved in 50 years time from steel and silicon wafers to flesh and blood.
0: I think that's such a neat concept.
1: And that's a scary thought too. That's something that took the human species millennia to do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, now's a good time to dive into some of these main characters. I'm a person who's
1: not big on war fiction. And somehow this caught me by surprise and I think it has to do with Edward James Almos' portrayal of Bill Adama. And it sort of extends to the entire cast of the show. Because you can tell through all their performances that they really cared about the show. And I go back to an interview with Trisha Helfer, where in between scenes, they would constantly talk about the show, about how they can make it better. I remember an interview with Katie Sackhoff where Edward James almost took Katie Sackhoff aside and say, hey, I'm going to need you to bring your A-game here. This isn't just for a paycheck. We're making something special here. And I kind of feel like when you have a brilliant actor like Edward James Almos, and you can't talk about Adama without Laura Rosalind. It elevates it. Adama is this man who is a hardline commander who's ready to make the hard call. By the same time he still struggles privately. And I feel like rarely do we see strong men having big emotional vulnerable reactions. There are several times throughout the series where he breaks down. When Kara Thrace dies in Maelstrom and when he finds out that his XO, Colonel Ty, comes to find out he's been a style law this entire time.
0: <laughs> I should have told you sooner, but I didn't have the guts.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> kind of hard to reconcile for Colonel Ty when he did fight in the first Cylon War. Which I have questions about. We'll talk about the final five and the plot holes. I'm aware there are plot holes in the final five storyline. Michael Hogan, great science fiction actor. He's been in shows we've covered before. Um,
0: Yeah, Michael Hogan back in February of 2020 suffered a brain injury after falling and hitting his head. Because of that, it caused paralysis on his left side. Mm -hmm. Memory loss and dysphagia so he does have 2020 credits and 2021 credits including sonic the hedgehog when calls the hearts and he even did some more voice work for mass effect but yeah his career is basically retired unfortunately
1: yeah i mean his work spans so many things in genres but yeah Going back to Adama, I mean, like he's a strong leader, and I love his relationships with Lee, his son, Apollo. It kind of reminds me of my relationship with my dad, where we don't necessarily see eye to eye with everything, but we still love each other. And sometimes it's sort of hard to say the words. So there's a general understanding that we may not agree, we may not have the same outlook in life. He might have plans for me, and that which doesn't line up with my plans, but at the end of the day, they're still. Love there. Him and Kara Thrace or Starbuck is this kind of like his adopted daughter, even though that she fracked up and basically killed Zach, his younger son, and he forgave her, which is, which shows that he's capable of amount of grace that I don't know many people would. And then there's his evolution relationship with Laura Roslin, where they're basically the troop, enemies to lovers, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> right. They started off as combative, they came together during during their journey to the Tomb of Athena. And then they ended up together as much as they could by the end of the series. Where you had Adama as someone who was willing to take the reins and do what it took to ensure the fleet, the survival of the fleet. You had Laura Roslin, who constantly struggled with trying to do the right thing. And we saw this many times. And one of the episodes, which is timely, was this woman who is Gemini's, decided that she didn't want to carry a child. She wanted an abortion. And the representative for Gemini says, this is against their religion. You should outlaw it. And they were arguing back and forth. And someone pointed out is, because Laura Roslin has this number on a whiteboard, which is the number of survivors that are left in the fleet. Someone pointed out that the number keeps going down. We need that number to start going up if we're going to ensure the survival of the human race. And Laura has this struggle where... If she were on Caprica and the 12 colonies was still flourishing, she would hold up to her convictions that a woman has a right to autonomy of her own body. But now that she's essentially a wartime president and their numbers are dwindling, do we need to start encouraging reproduction in order to replenish the numbers of the human race? And you see her going back and forth on the issue where she basically abolishes abortion. Of course, after she allows the woman's request to get an abortion, just stating that the ruling came after it happened. It's one of those things that I feel like it's still timely, especially as we're recording this episode. We have the Supreme Court possibly overturning Roe v. Wade. And this show, in a sense, was ahead of its time because when we started, a lot of the things they were talking about wasn't in the mainstream consciousness. And if they were, it wasn't amplified because there wasn't Twitter. There wasn't social media connecting other people and gathering together. They were talked about privately among friends, but it wasn't out in the open like it is now. I mean, Dirty Hands is about inequality where Chief Terrell is assigned to go get on the Chilean ship to make sure production's going. They went on strike because work conditions suck. Everyone from the top we're like, it is just we all make sacrifices and the working classes know no, no more. And I feel like those conversations got amplified back in the pandemic when inequality really was explored because we had time to think about this stuff.
0: It's worth noting that executive producers, Ronald D. Moore and David Icke, they both come from educations of political science. So they would regularly have talk about politics and what's current and things and tie it into the show. So what you bring up is, an excellent point of representing that because they're using major issues as themes in their own show and it ends up aging extremely well because these issues, some of these issues, continuously get recycled and brought up in politics. Uh We're we're talking about two very smart, very well-educated men who know what they're talking about and also happen to be good showrunners and and help the writing team piece it all together and and come up with something that ends up being some of the best content on the show.
1: And that's a good point because unfortunately, and it goes to the theme, all that has happened before will happen again. It's not just because of the war between the Cylons and the humans. I think it extends more to humanity is stuck in these cycles where we're repressing each other. In the system that we're currently in, there's always going to be the haves and the have-nots. Especially when we talk about capitalism. You can't have capitalism unless you have the poor. That's the way it is. And the extremely rich. And the inequality there there's always going to be divisions between religion race even using the term race feels wrong because what this shows taught me is there's only the human race because this reminds me of the speech that or the comments that Edward James Olmos uh, made at the UN I think towards the end of the, the last season the UN invited high schoolers to this special um, sort of session that was hosted by Whoopi Goldberg. It had David Icke, Ronald Moore, it had Mary McConnell and Edward James Almos and the Secretary of the UN. And he eloquently said that race was a construct to separate and murder cultures. There's only one race but the human race. And technically he's right. We come from different backgrounds and ethnicities but there's only one human race. That is the thing that we need to look at in order sort of to break the cycle that they were sort are talking about, these divisions that we create that Laura Roslin and Commander or Admiral Adama have been trying to sort of keep together and you see their struggles in episodes where the one thing that's tearing the fleet apart is not the Cylons, it's the survivors themselves because they're always holding on to these old prejudices and you see it in certain episodes like the Woman King where you had this doctor who was treated the Geminis, were members of the planet Geminon who were really religious that don't really believe in traditional medicine. And for some reason, this doctor decided that the Geminis were actually a plague on the fleet. So he was secretly euthanizing them all when they were seeking treatment. And it finally came to the attention to Carl Agathon, aka Hilo, when one of the crew members, D was treated and got really sick, which is one of those episodes where I'm like, where I find interesting too, because you would think after all this time, they will let all of that go, but they can't.
0: Any other characters worth noting?
1: Which I want to say something I find an interesting character trait between Adama and Rosalind is, I don't know if you noticed this, that every time Rosalind and Adama have a vulnerable moment, they remove their glasses where they're contemplating something horrible, and then when they have to sort of steal themselves they put their glasses back on like a shield.
0: I didn't notice that.
1: Something that I found interesting about those characters was I don't know if it was a subconscious move on their part because if you think about it the glasses sort of obscure your eyes and someone's soul is quote unquote seen through someone's eyes and when they take on have those vulnerable moments like they're sort of burying their souls I thought that was like an interesting character trait that they had and you knew when they put those glasses back on they were going to make Make a decision that you may not agree with.
0: Let's move on. Who would you like to talk about next? Guys Baltar, that little frack monkey. Oh, guys.
1: Oh god. Guys Baltar is an infuriating character. This is a man who literally sold out the human race. I will it was say by this. Accident. what we were led to believe, and I don't know if this was the intention, was for a good time in the sack. Now, when you watch the final episode, he did it for love. So I don't know if that's the writers finding a way to explain. Excuse what he did, or if that was always the story, that he genuinely loved Caprica 6 which allowed him to give her access that caused the genocide of the human race. But he is an infuriating character where he wants to do the right thing, but he does not in a way where he self-sabotages. Because when you think he finally gets on the right side of Adama and Rosalind, he does something to sort of self-sabotage him and always keeps him on the outside, yeah. which I think is brilliant because I know a few people like that. I don't know if you know a few people like that.
0: There's people out there who uh, only want to do things if it at least benefits themselves. Guys, to me is is not someone who's interested in sacrificing himself for anything. He is a little bit of a, a weasel in that way.
1: I kind of question guys. is, so guys goes back and forth, like in the first season, he finally believes in the one true God because Inner Six is sort of leading him down this path. It's kind of like the same balance with Rosalind is does she really believe in the scriptures? Does she believe because she has cancer and she's taking that Doala extract or Kamala extract? I can't remember the name of the drug, which we'll have to look that up later, where she has in these visions and where she's told she's the dying leader they will lead them to Earth. And with Gaius, I also question his too, because he believes in what you're good. He creates his own cult, essentially. So something that I should point out is in the original series the show was based heavily on Mormon scripture because I believe Kobol was part of their part of the religious scripture and Mormonism and we have the plan of Kobol here and I'm thinking back at it because the 12 colonies believe in, the, they believe in the, the Greek pantheon and they preach all to the different gods and goddesses and I'm thinking like was the writer's intent to make Gaius Baltar essentially John the Baptist and that's something I always thought about and I'm like no, that can't be right. And maybe if there's a theologian out there that's also a fan boss or galactica that wants to chime in on our Facebook page or our Instagram, please feel free. But yeah, I've always questioned whether or not Gaius really did believe in the silence one true God. I
0: would say no. I mean he's a scientist. Not well, to say all scientists are like agnostic or atheists or anything right. like that, but for him specifically, I think it'd be hard for him to latch on to that idea of a higher power. It doesn't seem like it would fall in line with his character.
1: And and I feel like that's what they were trying to raise in the writer's room. Can Mm. you be a man of science and still believe in something that you can't detect by the scientific method? They were shown a lot of things throughout the series that they couldn't explain. How did Kira draw something that wasn't a temple that no one knew about? How the hell did Kira come back from the dead? (laughs) How did they both see the same hallucinatory vision like between him and Capricus? six. And it's one of those which I think was also a test for the viewers. Do we believe that this is a shared hallucination, which was a topic of conversation apparently when we had the Cylon who accused Baltar of one of the number sixes who supposedly vanished out of thin air because there was a speculation I remember that people were having like, oh, did Galactica have a shared mass hallucination of number six?
0: Which would be pretty cool, not going to lie.
1: (laughs) But (laughs) But it was explained in the plan, which was brilliant. So guys, Baltar, again, a man of contradictions. And speaking of someone with a lot of contradictions is Starbuck. I love the fact that she isn't perfect, that she's complicated. She contradicts herself. And the fact that Kitty Sackhoff got so much hate because Starbuck's supposed to be a guy. Technically, so was Boomer. Boomer originally was a man, too, in the original series. Because back then, only men could be fire pilots. But I like Starbuck. Did she infuriate me at times? Of course. Did I want her to get her act together with Lee? Did I want her not to marry Sam? <laughs> Did I get mad when she said, oh, I can't divorce Sam because it's a sacrament, but she's having an affair with Lee? Yes. God bless Kara Thrace. But I will say she is a fun character. She does lighten it up. I mean, for those few episodes, we thought she was dead. The characters made the same... Were vocalizing what we were feeling where I think Colonel Ty says something to the effect that it's so quiet without Thrace mm-hmm. jabbering on on the comms and you felt that and I thought it was genius that they removed her from the credits oh, yeah. and she yeah. just finally appeared and then she got it at the end of the credits. You diabolical bastards. And I like to think of Kara Thrace as, as two different characters because you have to. There's Kara Thrace before Maelstrom and then there's Kara Thrace for the back half of the season and carrot Thrace in the back half of the season is a mystery to me and i'm still questioning who she is is she an angel <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's the question too is she an angel is she quote-unquote space jesus
0: i don't Do i you, don't think she's space jesus i wouldn't go that no, far
1: technically space moses but i digress there um,
0: you go i like that comparison better
1: i mean this is a woman who as we learn had a tough childhood a mother that abused her regularly a father that abandoned her, and yet she was given the tools to lead the human race to their new home, which apparently was the Jimi Hendrix version of All Along the Watchtower.
0: It's Katie Sackoff, she's great. Her dynamic with Lee is very good. It's very compelling. Lee looks out for her, and you know, I kind of like there was that moment when she's part of the Pegasus fleet. When Admiral Kane explains the goals of their mission and to save humanity, you can see on Thrace's face how much she agrees with her. And you know in the end that Thrace is going to be loyal to Adama and Battlestar, but Kane saw something in Thrace that maybe Thrace didn't even see in herself how Thrace could be a, a true leader one day. There was definitely some mutual respect there that I thought was really interesting and of course we know what happens in the end of all of it but it wouldn't have surprised me if both ships were on better terms that Thrace would have like thrived on Pegasus more mm-hmm. than she ever could have on Battlestar.
1: We all know who Kane is. This is a woman who ordered to strip down all the civilian fleet ships, take who's ever viable, and left them to die by the Cylons.
0: And if that wasn't all unpacked, I think the race would have been totally fine being under Kane. But because all of this comes to fruition, among other things, mm-hmm. it's more like, oh no, I can't.
1: But though she has her own similar, because it's highlighted because in the later part when she's trying to find the original Earth, she goes. Goes through that singular tunnel vision, which cost Felix his leg, which leads to another explosive situation later down the road with Tom Zarek and Felix doing a mutiny. And she is capable of, like Kane, willing to risk everything to get the job done, even though it may not be worth it. There is this dark impulse that without someone like Lee or Hilo to sort of pull her back, she will cause havoc. But in the end, you could argue she gets the job done. And would we still be making those characterizations if Starbuck was again played by a man and not by a woman? That's a whole different conversation that I don't think we want to get into today. One quick major character because I feel like we have to talk about her is Sharon Valeri. Before we get to some quick minor characters, there's two Sharons that we've dealt with. There's Boomer in the first part of the series where she was a sleeper agent who was in love with a Chief Terrell, who was essentially fighting against her programming to sabotage Galactica, which was probably the most suspenseful part of this whole viewing of the series. Because in one hand, she blew up the water supply of Galactica and yet single-handedly found an even larger water source tried to kill herself but couldn't I ended up shooting Commander Adama which in the um, TV movie The Plan Chief Tyrrell argued that Boomer is a better shot than that. If she wanted to she would have killed Adama which made me argue did she sabotage herself from completing her mission from killing Admiral Adama and then there's a Sharon Agathon which is Athena the asylum programmed with all of Boomer's memories sent to find Hilo make him fall in love and have his baby because that was the whole thing about the cylons was they can't reproduce and somehow athena had accomplished the one thing the cylons always wanted a means of reproduction and i love the fact that grace park was able to make those two characters succinctly different she is one of my favorite actresses because you Felt their pain, especially Boomer, where she's has suspicions that she might be a Cylon. And then right before she shoots Adama, she comes face to face with her other copies. And they say, we know what you're going to do and we still love you. It was horrifying. I love how you can see the fear in her eyes of what she just saw and confirm her worst suspicions. And the devastation that you felt her, that the only to really escaped was to try to commit suicide, which unfortunately her programming betrays her. And then there's this relationship between both Sharon's and Admiral Adama, which with Athena is a slow relationship that we don't get to see how the evolution of it because we have a time jump between uh, Lay All Your Burdens to season three, where he looks at Sharon as the copy that killed him or tried to assassinate him to a trusted ally, which I find interesting. All the while knowing that he and Rosalind are keeping the fact that they faked the death of her baby which this is Laura Roslyn's idea too Yeah. which is the best part because you would think that it's something that maybe Adama would come up with but Adama knows which you do this you risk breaking the trust of the one military asset they have against the war with Cylons despite Laura's best intentions baby Hera ended up in Cylon's hands probably one of my favorite characters just because Boomer trying to become a machine is great under the two of Cavill, portrayed by the great late Dean Stockwell. Oh, he was so good in that role, w- which we can transition to minor characters. So let's talk about the Cylons, because we don't get to spend as much time with them. The Cylons, to me, are the most interesting characters. Does it contradict earlier discussions that Ron D. Moore had about them with what we ended up getting the final product? Yes. <laughs> but I remember in earlier interviews that the way the Cylons created their humanoid models, they looked at humanity and said that they're really basically just 12 versions of you and that's it. And we boiled you down to these 12 characteristic models. You're not as unique as you think you are. And I thought, that is genius and scary because if you think about it, if a machine or an artificial intelligence were to distill us down to zeros and ones, what is that interpretation? And in this world, it's 12 bases. Basic models. Now, we've learned later on there's basically seven referred to as significant seven that have multiple copies because we learned that the other five were the original Cylons from the original Earth because the 13th tribe that left Cobalt were actually Cylons themselves that learned to reproduce. I had to reinvent resurrection and decided to warn their brothers and sisters of the 12 colonies about not making smart AI machines. By the time they reached them, oopsie, they're in the middle of the Cylon War, and apparently they brokered a peace with the Cylons to stop the annihilation of the human race the first time around. Which version do I like better?
0: The first one. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that? (laughs) Just
1: because the first one's better in the sense that they evolved on their own. Technically, you could still argue that they did. Because Ellen, Saul, Sam, Tori, and Galen were Cylons to begin with. They were machines and they helped the evolutionary process. Which they were apparently the colonial Cylons were already creating their own versions of skin jobs which is a term that edward james almost introduced to the series because he was on blade runner and he brought that term over as a little homage to what came before the series yeah. i thought that was genius and of course they created the first hybrid before the intervention of the final five but still it's still kind of like eh,
0: i mean if it doesn't work it doesn't work you know it doesn't work yeah
1: because I, I understand the plot holes because apparently bill and Saul fought in the first war but Saul didn't come in didn't make it to the original colonies until towards the end of the Cylon War. So how did he and Bill fight together? I have questions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right well is there any other high points that we haven't touched on that you think are worth mentioning?
1: So probably the best batch of episodes and I think as universally known it's the occupation storyline of New Caprica where it is controversial because it's basically an examination of the Iraq war and occupation where the roles are reversed, where the Cylons are essentially the U.S. coming in to win the hearts and mind of the people. And you have characters like Tom Zarek and Laura Roslin condoning suicide bombings as resistant methods. It's a tough pill to swallow where at least as an American, the way the narrative is presented is a horrible thing to watch that horrible things are happening over there. When it was happening... I was in high school. I didn't fully understand the complexity of the geopolitical makeup of what was going on. All I was worried about is, was I going to get drafted into a war? We're at war. We were attacked. And then as you're looking at the episodes, you're watching this stuff and you find yourself rooting for the resistance. And you're kind of like, okay, what are we doing here? Like I said, it is hard to sort of reconcile that normally we would never be rooting for in real life a suicide bomber going after civilian targets, right? But yet, in this series, Rosalind and Tom Zarek and Sam have to do what they need to do in order to stop the Cylons. But yet, the Cylons are basically coming in, like, as the U.S. forces in the Iraqi conflict. They're just doing a job, building up infrastructure, making New Caprica a better place.
0: It's not like subtle at all. It's pretty clear Mm -hmm. what the message is trying to be relayed to the viewers in those sets of episodes. I think they do a pretty good job laying the message across. And sounds like you were able to pick it up pretty well as well. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, Kara Thrace's the mind games that was happening between Leoben, the model number two, pretty much lying, saying that, hey, this is your child. <laughs> Made her believe she had a daughter. Comes to find out not her daughter. Fun stuff. Those are tough episodes. But then again, it also mirrors what's going on between Russia and, and Ukraine right now. It goes back to has happened before. Will it happen again? So, one of my favorite episodes is Sometimes a Great Notion which coincidentally almost served as a series finale. So this was the last episode written before the writer's strike of 2008 and the producers were getting worried that this may be the last episode because after a certain time, options for actors run out and they have to move on to other projects. And it is a dark episode because we learn a few things in this episode that this is the Thirteen Tribe. This is Earth. Carathrace finds her body. D commits suicide. Laura just basically loses her mind and starts burning the prophecies of Pythia. It is a meditation on how do you deal with disappointment where it's a homecoming for Galen Tory, Colonel Ty and Sam which coincidentally they landed where Galen died in the first holocaust on that planet everyone else is sort of mourning the loss of the hope of earth and you also have Diana which is the number three who saw the face of the final five decides that hey I'm just gonna die here where my ancestors are because I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. But in the end, they continued on because that's what you have to do. For me, like that was one of my favorite episodes. Even though it is depressing, it's still a good meditation of what they've gone through.
0: Well, what's and, one episode you would show someone to get them interested? Is that the one or you would you go a
1: different no, direction? No. <laughs> no. It depends on the person. If you love something more action-packed military, 33. If you love those conversation on what is human, what is machine, download it. It will be the episode mm. I would show someone. If you wanted something more nitty-gritty, occupation, there's a different answer depending on the person.
0: No, That's true. I mean, that's just the kind of show it is. Yeah,
1: because it's so multi layer that i think anyone can enjoy this show in a sense like if you're a fan of writing good character writing watch no exit i think it has one of the best lines of the whole series is cavill's diatribe about how he's angry that he's stuck in this human form that he can't fully experience what a supernova is he's limited to the human experience and I thought it's just so beautifully written
0: earlier you mentioned that the back half of season 2 was some moments where you felt like you were having some doubts is that something that you're pretty committed to or are there a, I mean, was there other moments that you think that we're starting to seep in that maybe you were doubting the show's trajectory
1: season 2 has some episodes where they're trying new things Black Market is one which where, I think
0: is like unanimously considered the worst Battlestar Galactica episode right
1: <laughs> season 3 Sometimes I felt like there were some filler episodes.
0: Do you think these seasons were too long? I think if they were split up, like... Maybe like a part one or part yeah, A, for part season, B type for of season style.
1: three. But I understand they wanted that strong momentum. A lot of the episodes, what I call standalone issue episodes, like Dirty Hands, The Woman King, while they don't connect to the overall arc of the human versus Cylon conflict... They're just as, as important because they ask those questions. Are we slipping into a class system where you can only be the one thing that your parents were? Are you able to become something more? Are there still prejudices in the fleet? Have we learned nothing from what we experienced from the Cylons?
0: Well, with consideration of all of these episodes, how should you watch it? Is this a good binge or is this something where you should pace yourself?
1: I watched this originally, for the most part, week. By week, I rewatched the entire series for this episode in preparation because it's been a long time. Because, like I mentioned, I wrote a paper on this and I got burned down on Ballastar Galactica because I was watching the episodes over and over again over right. a short period of time where I'm like, okay, I need a rest. It was a great time revisiting them for this episode, but I think you don't have the same impact when you're binging. Take your time, don't rush through it because, and they ask a lot of tough questions. If you're kind of burning through the episodes looking for those answers, you're not going to find them. And you miss out on a lot of those quiet character moments.
0: Well, with these repeat viewings with this show, I'm guessing that you have a recommended viewing order to help with the experience. Or at least, no, you don't have to commit to every episode of the entire series. I mean,
1: if you did want to speedrun this, I mean, you could. I don't recommend it, (laughs) but you could. There are episodes you can skip. And then a lot of the TV movies, too, and webisodes you can sort of skip to. I'm like, i am put that out there.
0: Yeah. Speaking of which, let's go ahead and get to that portion where we're talking about material that enriches the show's viewing experience. There is Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome, set in the 10th year of the First Cylon War. The story follows William Adama, a young pilot who just graduated from the academy, assigned to one of the Battlestars in the Colonel Fleet, the Galactica. It provides a very basic frame of reference to the events that ensued in the time between the prequel series Caprica and the basis of Battlestar Galactica. You also have Razor, which is a series of flashbacks that reveals the chronicles of Pegasus and its crew from the initial Cylon attack on the 12 colonies up to its meeting with Galactica with Apollo's new EXO deals with the harsh reality of Admiral Kane's legacy. So chronologically, it fits into season two between the episodes of The Captain's Hand and Downloaded. We also have Battlestar Galactica, The Plan, as two John Cavill Cylons wait to be blown out of a Galactica airlock. They discuss their opposing opinions on the plan to annihilate humankind. They reflect on their own experiences with humans since the attack on 12 colonies. Their roles in the orchestration of Cylon agents on board the Galactica and the efforts to sabotage the resistant effort on Caprica come to light. The film provides an alternate perspective on many events already known to the viewers. There's also the resistance with the Cylon's occupation of New Caprica results in the formation of a human resistance movement determined to undermine the Cylons' attempt to assimilate the remainder of humanity. And there's also the face of the enemy, which is nine days after finding Earth. Lieutenant Gaeta is on board a Raptor with several of Galactica's crew and Cylon 8s en route to Zephyr when a Cylon threat forces the fleet to jump during the chaos. The Raptor is separated from the rest of the fleet while waiting for rescue. The Passengers and crew mysteriously begin to die off one by one. So like all of this material sounds mm-hmm. like you don't really need it. The
1: Caprica sequel prequel is a little bit confusing.
0: I, I specifically didn't mention it yet because I didn't want to uh, get your expansion on that.
1: Because I actually did watch it week to week, which it could have had more seasons. But when they were promoting the show, David Eck and Ron D. Moore keep saying, if you expect Bowser Glaskin, then don't watch Caprica. Yeah, right. Like, well, Not I the guess best they approach. did it. <laughs> Um, because they essentially introduced the first human Cylon hybrid, which contradicts what they were doing and the Cylon religion, which was a bit confusing. I was curious to see how they were going to neatly tie it into it because eventually season two or season three, Zoe Greystone, which is the daughter who died during a terrorist attack whose conscience got uploaded to a cloud, which essentially is the prototype of the first humanoid Cylon, apparently, was going to meet the original Final Five, which is weird to have a character like that introduced in the mythology, but never mentioned in Battlestar's history. So that's kind of confusing. But the, they name one of the character's Daniel, which was a model, the missing model number seven that Cavil destroyed out of jealousy, according to alan Which I love. That is an interesting show. It's like space opera OC.
0: Not a bad pitch at all.
1: <laughs> like it's fun, but it is kind of contradicting what they were sort of doing on the flagship. Blood and Chrome. It was fun. Some of those events circle back to the flashbacks that happen in Razor. Razor, I wish the character that they focused on was a character we saw in Galactica. It gives light to the struggles of the number six model, Gina. Comes to find out why Kane hated her so much is they were lovers. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm like,
1: okay, I feel ya. Admiral Kane is a scorched earth type of ex-lover. Apparently. And quickly, just a plan. Go ahead, watch it. Directed by Edward James almost He does a really good job of seamlessly fitting in the Cylons into those older episodes.
0: So have you ever played any of the video games? I wish I did. I wanted <laughs> to so bad
1: because I didn't have actual game consoles when it aired.
0: What about the board
1: game? I wasn't into board games back then because you didn't have social media uh-huh. advertising. So unless you went to a comic book store, there wasn't a game shop outside of a Target and Target didn't have a selection of board games like they do now with the indie right. games and smaller publishers that was in Hasbro and god damn do I want to play that game it's basically Secret Hitler where you had to come up with policies and achieve your objectives I want to play this
0: are you excited for the Sam Ismail Helm Battlestar Galactica series that we'll be getting in the future
1: I'm confused to it being in a reimagining of the original series or the reimagining of the reimagined series
0: I wonder this too and I think it's a reimagining of the (laughs) reimagining like it's. It's going to play off of the already established lore that they have for Battlestar Galactica and become its own thing.
1: If this is a reimagining of everything that's come before, maybe we might get a better story of the final five. Because I kind of feel like the final five still never made sense to me. Because I always found it weird that two of the Cylons were the second in command of the president and the admiral. <laughs> What are the coincidences? And was that always the plan? If. The actor who played Billy, Rosalind's original aide, didn't leave the show, killed off, would he be revealed as a Cylon?
0: It's a great question.
1: Because that would have been fascinating.
0: And I don't know if Ronald D. Moore had thought that far ahead. When in interviews in the Battlestar Galacticast podcast, he doesn't really say that they thought too far ahead.
1: (laughs) From what I remember, they needed something, a summary of what the show was. And he flippantly wrote this thing that Cylons, they are 12 models, they look like us, they feel like us and they have a plan he didn't know what that plan was he just put it out there and they'll figure it out later but then again, oh. if you look at the series finale, it is controversial. I want to say when you get to those episodes, even Ron D. Moore struggled with those episodes. He came to realization it's not about tying everything up in a red little bow. It's about serving the characters. How do we get the characters to a satisfying ending to end their journey? And he did it beautifully.
0: Thought well, He did too. Yeah. I mean, of course, I jumped around, so I wasn't that invested in these characters characters. characters, but the series finale is three parts. That's a long time I'm spending seeing how this story ends. And I honestly thought that they did a a really good job. I thought the majority of fans watching the series finale and being satisfied. So it actually does surprise me that you're telling me that it's actually maybe not a split, but there are the rumblings of the people who were really unhappy with
1: it. Yeah, because they want to know who Kara Thrace was. Literally, the series ends with coincidentally, Inner Six and inner Baltar reading an article about how scientists believe they found mitochondrial Eve in the southern plains of Africa. And then Baltar said, yes, next to her human father in Cylon Mother. And you see Ronald D. Moore reading that article with implications. He came up with the idea of Ballastar Galactica from that article and walks Mm -hmm. off screen. They talk about our Earth because, just let me jump back. After the confrontation, the final confrontation, Starbuck uses the numeric notes of all on the Watchtower to get them to earth but set in the early forms of human evolution and they colonize earth without any of the technology jump forward to present day they're looking at humanity say in i guess uh, new york city saying humanity is currently running amok with technology like Copal, the first earth the colonies will this happen again and of course we get cuts of the beginnings of us developing our own ai and smart robots and that creepy little japanese female robot
0: yeah
1: like that's the new number six right there and I thought that's brilliant because again it goes back to the thesis humanity is always stuck in these cylindrical patterns what does it take for us to break it and then inner six mentions with a complex set of numbers and systems eventually you're gonna have to break the pattern at some point Mm -hmm. and she believes that our earth our version of humanity will finally break that cycle and I thought that was brilliant saying that yes we We can change. We can be better than what came before us. And I feel like with most shows, it's always kind of like a depressing tone. (laughs) The ending with these type of stories. We actually got an optimistic, a fresh start, a new beginning for humanity. Granted, many people like George R. Martin, who shouldn't be talking about season series finales, are throwing stones. Okay, whatever. It's science fiction.
0: Do what you will. I actually thought it was kind of neat that they did that. I really did. I did so
1: too, because I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. So, I'm curious to see what Sam Ismail, the creator of Mr. Robot, which is considered the highest of prestige television, is going to do with this world. And it's going to appear on Peacock. It's going to stay in the NBC family. And according to Trisha Helfer, he got the blessing of Ron D. Moore to go ahead because there were talks about possibly coming back to do more Battlestar. But Ron D. Moore said, I already told my story. I'm
0: yeah, good. He expressed this in the Battlestar Galacticast podcast. He says Battlestar Galactica is not even his. So for him to be defensive about it it is just silly. What I like about Ron Moore is just he sees things the way that he should see things. He's a very humble guy. He's not arrogant in the slightest. He's a fan of things, you know, and he is just this guy who grew up in Chowchilla, California, calls himself a recovering Catholic, is agnostic. And he is just very grateful for the opportunity that, that he got to have with Battlestar Galactica and tell this story the way he did, because the truth is, Like for him to tell the story like this is risky because most networks just won a episodic type of series, not this serialized story that he was able to pull off.
1: And I think he benefited from it being on sci-fi. I mean, this is a show that won a Peabody Award, which is one of those prestigious awards of television. It is one of the most written about academically. And we're still having discussions. We're still talking about it in terms of how we see the real world around it. And I'm kind of curious to see how this new iteration is going to be influenced by. Because Battlestar was influenced by 9-11 and the fear of the enemy could be anybody. What is this version going to be? Which is kind of a scary thought because when 9-11 happened, at least from my point of view, is when I lost my innocence in a way. Where I sort of discovered that, oh, the world is a dark and scary place. And I feel like it's only gotten worse since then
0: it hasn't gotten significantly better that's for sure right
1: because it was an inclusive show like we had a lot of different actors that weren't all particularly white i'm curious to see like how diverse the show can become Battlestar star cast hosted by trisha helfer and mark Narden. something if you really want more in depth examination of the series. I highly recommend
0: they do all the episodes and they have some bonus episodes as well. They get a lot of great guests. So a lot of cast members came on because a lot of these cast members absolutely love being on this show. Love keeping in touch. Love talking about it. They all talk about how great of an experience it was and how said it's been like nothing else they've ever worked on since and it's worthwhile to listen to that podcast and hear all of those things. So strong recommendation if you are watching the show but be warned that it's tough to watch it week to week because they do spoil a lot of things for future episodes. So if you're I know you listening to this podcast and we just spoiled a whole bunch of things, but a whole ending right here. <laughs> yeah, but I will say that um, you can watch it week to week or listen to it week to week as you go along with the episodes or something. So, well, let's go ahead and make some suggestions for similar shows and franchises that viewers might also enjoy. Right off the bat, I think the easiest one is Westworld created by Jonathan Nolan and his wife, Lisa Joy. It has three seasons now. I'm assuming getting a fourth i kind of Later lost
1: it. Uh, so when this episode is released, the new season has already started. It really? Is G- June
0: 26th. Oh, damn. I've been so disconnected from it because I really stopped liking that show during season two. But what I do love is Ex Machina, written and directed by Alex Garland. It's basically a modern day science fiction masterpiece, without a doubt. Stars Oscar Isaac and Domhnall Gleeson and also Alicia Vikander. So it's about a programmer who works for the dominant search engine company, Blue Book. He wins an office contest for one week to visit the isolated home of the CEO. And the CEO lives in a modern home next to a waterfall and climbing hills. And apart from a servant named Kyoko, according to the CEO, does not speak English. He's completely alone. But what he's working on is something called Ava, who is a genoid and she has artificial intelligence. And basically, he's asking him if he can do the Turing test for him. It's a brilliant movie, I think, and I'm sure, Romeo, you've seen Ex Machina.
1: I love it. Yeah. It's such a great film. All the recommendations are great if you love the discussion, whether or not these things that we create can gain sentience and what do we do then. And with Ex Machina, you see it in a, a little bit more intimate depiction of that conversation. Mm-hmm. We're with Westworld, and when we talk about Blade Runner in a moment, it's more grandiose, where you don't get to sit down with one singular character here. It's just three characters. You're trapped in a room with them, essentially for a period I think about 90 minutes and you're having these conversations about what is human can she fool you and how do you determine that it's brilliant and shocking and then the fact that you learn that all this learned behavior and and that's the moral story about AI how does it learn to be human by observing humanity itself and sometimes we don't give the best portrayal what it is to be human
0: correct and last but not least Blade Runner both Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049 I I love Blade Runner 2049. I think it's better than Blade Runner. Both films are exceptional and Blade Runner is tricky because, you know, there's the multiple cuts. I would recommend the final cut.
1: When you think about Blade Runner, there is a lot of parallels between that and then Battlestar Galactica because there's a whole section about boxing where he can deactivate entire models line and put their memories in cold storage.
0: Yeah. Which so oh. just so
1: argue, is that worse than death?
0: Fascinating stuff. And done a lot better than what I think Westworld does.
1: But season one is probably the closest to Battlestar.
0: We did it. We talked about Battlestar Galactica. Yes, we did. Yeah. And congested with mind fog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gonna be editing out a lot of sniffling.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. And I've been trying to mute every so often. Don't worry I'll... about
0: it. Like it's gonna be totally manageable in the editing process. I wouldn't worry about it. Listeners, stay tuned for final thoughts and mailbag. Thank mm-hmm. you. Welcome back. Battlestar Galactica. Like we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Romeo has been itching to do Battlestar Galactica for quite some time and we finally got to do it and we can finally put it behind us. (laughs) And I'm a little relieved to be honest because um, I'm not saying that I was bored by the show, but I will say that it didn't hook me entirely, but hearing your passion for it, knowing that there is a passionate fan base for it, it's understandable why this show is coming back at some point. There's just a lot of juicy things to talk about with this show. There's a lot of a lot of meat on the bones, I guess you could say, because not only just to talk about, but to write about, to philosophize about. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting show in that way. So I am, granted, disappointed that I wasn't able to get entirely hooked, but I did learn through not only our discussion, but through research to appreciate the series for what it is. I, I am able to look at that objectively and be happy about that in terms of like shows that have repeatedly used this Concept, and you heard me talk about Westworld and Mm -hmm. how I didn't enjoy it after a certain point. Battlestar Galactica does what it does better than most iterations of this concept.
1: And it's more than the typical science fiction tropes of machine versus man, they dealt with very human problems. And the same way Star Trek did, or it still does actually. Taking really modern issues and conceptualizing in a way where you can look at it objectively and it gets presented in a clever way. And that's probably the reason why I love the show so much. It's probably gonna be my ritualistic rewatch every few years because it still holds up.
0: So now we're moving on. We do have something sort of from our mailbag. And it was Jonathan Joss. John Redcorn himself from King of the Hill messaged us on Instagram because I posted that we just posted our King of the Hill episode. What I tend to do with our Instagram page is I like to follow a lot of the people who become involved with these shows and movies that we did episodes on. So Jonathan Joss is one of those people. And then he direct messaged the Instagram page and said, Thank you for lighting the fire. Very kind words. Very shocking, surprising words to come from Jonathan Joss to message us. He didn't have to do that. It was really cool that he did. I don't know if you listened to the episode. I'd like to believe that maybe he did. I don't know. But either way, just cool that he did that. Not only that, but he did actually follow us as well. So that was pretty cool. He's our first recognizable name to follow Bench Essentials. What do you think about that, Romeo?
1: (laughs) I know. I'm excited. I'm Shut it down. I never thought that it it would
0: come. (laughs) Right? (laughs) If you guys want to reach us, about Battlestar Galactica or any of our previous episodes. You can do that at BingeEssentials at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at BingeEssentials and on Instagram at BingeEssentials. You can find me on Instagram at DavidRochaBinge. You can find Romeo at Armora02. You can find me on Twitter at DavidRochaRadio and you can find Romeo at Armora1. Time to tease next month's episode. Next month's episode is Game of Thrones. I say it like that because this feels like the most intimidating one yet. And us us to do Game of Thrones. It's Greg Jackway. I've known Greg for a long time. I've known he's been a big Game of Thrones fan for a long time, so I'm very excited to hear his insights because he's read all the books, he's watched the whole series, very insightful about all of this, and yeah, this is again, I say this is intimidating because this is just one of the biggest shows ever. I have a lot to talk about with Romeo behind the scenes on this one because we have our show structure, but considering the type of show this is, we might have to restructure the show so to accommodate such a daunting task. This is going to be an exciting one, so I really hope you guys tune in for that one. It's coming out on the first Thursday of August, just in time before House of the Dragon premieres, and I can't wait to watch that series. I'll tell you that right now. Romeo, you have anything to add to this?
1: It's going to be interesting. We talked about the last season. We did weekly episode recaps, and those were two hour long. Yeah. I don't know how we're going to do a whole series in the one hour time frame we give ourselves
0: yeah it has some pretty darn long recordings and i feel like game of thrones would exceed that and we can't have that (laughs) so we have to figure out
1: our first two-parter
0: i don't know i don't know we'll we'll
1: talk about it
0: i don't know we'll see we'll see with all that being said i want to thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you guys next month